engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Monday is nine after the hour, and I am Eric Erickson here on News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. That's the number. Hope you guys had a great weekend. You know someone who didn't? The President of the United States did not have a great weekend. Um, John Kelly is gone. Now, here's what I know. Uh, what I know is that uh, John Kelly and the President have not talked for some time. But that last week... Or week before last, I guess it was, there was a dinner in the White House State Dining Room of staffers. Jonathan Swan is reporting this as well. And Nick Ayers and John Kelly came in late. They had been to the White House discussing transitioning. Um, not, <laughs> I guess now nowadays we have to clarify, not transitioning with, with sexuality, no, transitioning the office. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> in any event. Um, and everyone noticed they came in late. No one really knew what was going on. Otherwise, the president and Kelly have not talked. In fact, when the president made his uh, statement to the White House press corps on the South Lawn on Saturday, he had not spoken to John Kelly. Uh, went out and did that. Kelly essentially had been trying to get the president to, to force the issue. The president did by going to the press. Uh, the front runner was Nick Ayers. Nick Ayers from Georgia uh, was Sonny Perdue's campaign manager back in the day. Brilliant political strategist. Ran the Republican Governor Association. Also a really nice guy. Uh, and he is serving currently as the vice president's chief of staff. The president expected Nick to become the new White House uh, chief of staff. The new president's chief of staff. And... Nick was willing to do it, but he wasn't willing to commit to two years. He only wanted it to do a short, be a short-term thing. Now, uh, for those who know Nick, he's in his mid-30s. He's got a wife and uh, three six-year-old triplets, and they would like to move back to Georgia. He didn't want to raise his kids in Washington, and who can blame him? And so he didn't want to commit to two years. The president wanted him very much to commit to two years. And he wouldn't do it. So the job was his. And he has declined. He announced on social media that he will be returning to Georgia and he will be working on an outside role for the president's 2020 reelection. Now, I got to tell you as well, when you've seen the president's treatment of Reince Priebus and John Kelly and his tweet on Friday about um or what's his name? The former Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson. Yeah, Tillerson, that's it. <laughs> I started to say Ron Swanson, I kid you not. <laughs> Sorry, folks, it's it's a Monday. Um, Rex Tillerson, that's who I'm thinking of. Um, I don't know that it would be a smart thing for him to do. Uh, Nick is a good guy. We, we stay in touch, and I wish the best for him, and I think this is a wise decision on his part. But... It does raise the question, who then will be the president's chief of staff? And that is a problem. So the guy the president had wanted at one point was Mick Mulvaney, uh, the OMB director and the 
temp temporary director of the Consumer Financial Protection Board, or the Board of Consumer Financial Protection, as it is properly called and as he has ordered it renamed. And uh, Mulvaney had wanted it, I am told, but after seeing everything in the White House over the last year or so, has decided it's probably not the situation he wants to be in or, or wants his family to be in. So he is, wants to say at OMB. The, the other person who the president had wanted and who thought he might want it was Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary. The president, however, uh, I think he wants him left at Treasury now. And Mnuchin, again, like Mulvaney, seeing the way Kelly and Priebus have wound up, has decided he doesn't want any part of it. And this is part of the problem now for the president and the White House, is that the people who would be most qualified for the position are looking at Priebus and looking at Kelly and thinking, I don't want any part of that. You know, the president uh, attacked Barack Obama in 2010 for having gone through three chiefs of staff um, in the first half of his term. That's now the president is now doing what he accused or attacked Barack Obama for doing when Obama was president. So who else is out there? Well, there's one other name that the president has floated that he would very much like to consider chief of staff. And it is the most problematic name. And it pains me to th say that because I love the guy. Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows is the chair of the House Freedom Caucus, congressman from North Carolina. He has been on this program numerous times. He's a friend of mine. I sincerely, genuinely like Mark Meadows. He is a really good guy, and I think he would be a good chief of staff. He knows uh, how Washington works. He is not a fan of the Republican establishment. He is very committed to the president. The problem is uh, Mark Meadows has many, 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 many enemies in Washington, particularly among Republicans in Congress. And that's who the president's chief of staff would need to deal with. And that becomes a supreme problem for the president when the president already has problems with Republicans in Congress. And now you got Mark Meadows as his chief of staff, who's got uh, lots of enemies among the Republicans on Capitol Hill. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work for him. It's a problem. Um, and as a result of that, I think he's going to have to go elsewhere. Now, who, what other names are there? Well, um, somebody floated the name of Randy Levin, or he's the, the president of the New York Yankees. He's out. Uh, that leaves David Bossie, Robert Leitzinger, the um, trade representative. David Bossie, of course, was the former deputy campaign manager and president of Citizens United. Uh, there's Corey Lewandowski, uh, who co-authored the book with David Bossie, and he was the former Trump campaign manager. And I actually think Lewandowski would be good in the role, believe it or not. And then there's Matt Whitaker. And Whitaker makes the most sense to me. Whitaker is the acting attorney general right now. He cannot stay in that role. There are all sorts of issues with Whitaker being in this role constitutionally as is. He can't stay in the role. William Barr has been nominated to be attorney general. William Barr was George H.W. Bush's attorney general. It looks like he'll be able to get congressional approval, although there is an issue with William Barr. Chuck Schumer has come out on William Barr and said uh, the Senate Democrats intend in his Judiciary Committee hearing to put him under oath and get him to promise he will not fire Mueller. I suspect Barr may be willing to do something like that, but it doesn't matter. The Republicans have the votes for the guy. He's highly, highly respected. 
Uh, and, and I don't think they can oust William Barr from that position. He's the type of guy they want in that position, responsible, level-headed, uh, civil servant, former attorney general. He's got experience there. But then, of course, that leaves Matt Whitaker. you got to put him somewhere. He's loyal to the president. You can't really put him back in the chief of staff spot once he's been acting attorney general. And given the way he helped undermine Jeff Sessions, I'm sure William Barr wouldn't want him there. So where do you put him? It seems to me it's a no-brainer. You put Matt Whitaker from the AG's office in to be chief of staff of the president. He's a former attorney. Well, he is a current attorney. He's a former U.S. attorney. He knows the law. He knows the intersection of the law and politics. He would be the best fit to be chief of staff. Whether the president does that or not, I have no idea, but those are the people you got now. Robert Leisinger, the other name, I haven't dwelled too much on him. He's the trade secretary. Uh, he has a, a, a deep bench of enemies inside the White House because of tariffs and things like that. So I, I think the president would be nuts to put him in as chief of staff, but maybe he would put him in there. Who knows? I think Whitaker probably is the, the smartest pick. I'm so delighted. Welcome back, by the way. It is 26 after the hour. Y'all, I got a rock box for Christmas. Christy told me just go on and pick out what I wanted. And I have looked at this thing for two years. I have looked at this. It was uh, like a kick. I think it was actually Indiegogo, the Kickstarter competitor. It was funded on there. Indiegogo is apparently bigger in Great Britain. This is a British company that makes uh, commercial brick ovens for pizzerias. And they have made a small one for homes. The the thing is only about maybe 14, 15 inches deep uh, and about 12, 13 inches wide at the front. And you can, it gets up to 900 some odd degrees Fahrenheit, 500 degrees Celsius. So you can make Neapolitan style pizzas in your home brick oven. And the reviews are amazing from people. And you don't even, it's not just for pizzas though. You can do chickens and vegetables and roasts and steaks and pork chops and all sorts of things. It's it's a wood burning oven. You can burn use wood or you can use propane. And, and the propane actually gets better reviews than the wood, although you can use wood. And I am so excited. Christy, the kids got me a small pizza oven uh, three years ago, I guess. And it, it looked awesome and it just, it didn't work out great. And this one is a little bit pricier, but it's bigger. It holds its heat. Um, it, it's um, less than a thousand dollars. And I got it, ordered it through Williams and because I wanted the green one. They have a gray one you can get on the Rockbox website. But anyway, I am very excited by this. One of the things I am terrible at, I love to cook. If you listen to this program, you know I love to cook. And one of the things I am absolutely terrible about is pizzas. I am terrible at homemade pizza, and I intend to improve, and this will help me. Now, I want you to do something to improve your soul. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't put it that way, but seriously. Uh, We are not doing any more live broadcasts at Walmarts for Clark's Christmas Kids. But we still need your donations for Clark's Christmas Kids. It is extremely important uh, that we have some help so that every child in foster care this year is able to get a present for Christmas. It cannot be done without you. And so I am really hoping, please, uh, we have 300 lists left. That means we've got 300 kids who still need uh, Christmas presents. And what you can do is you can donate at wsbradio.com under uh, Christmas Kids and Clark's Elves. Um, they're going to use the money 
to complete those 300 lists, please go to WSBRadio.com, look for the Clark's Christmas Kids logo, and donate. We've got 300 kids outstanding who still need Christmas presents. Please help us. When we come back, what USA Today did to Kyler Murray. And then there's Kevin Hart. Welcome back, 39 After the Hour. I want to tell you again, um, in all seriousness, we've got 300 kids outstanding who we still need to buy gifts for, for Clark's Christmas Kids. Now, what is this? If you're just tuning in, if you had not been paying attention to it, we're not doing any more live broadcasts. We've only got 300 kids left. Uh, but these are children who are in foster homes. They're, they're not family foster homes. They're orphanages, uh, state-run agency programs. And there are 300 kids who are going to get nothing for Christmas this year. Nothing for Christmas unless you help. And so I need you to go to wsbradio.com. And there is on the right side of the page, there's a banner. It says Clark's Christmas Kids 2018 Toy and Gift Drive. You can click that and you will be able to see where you can donate. Uh, There is an address where you can donate by mail to the DFAC Secret Santa, uh, or there is a way you can you can make an online donation. Uh, you've got to donate, folks. We've got kids in Georgia, in orphanages and elsewhere, who are not going to have something for Christmas unless our listeners step up. We ask you to be generous during the summer to the Affleck Children's Cancer Center. I'm asking you to be generous now for Christmas, for these kids, uh, please go to wspradio.com and you can find out how to donate. Um, it, it is, it's so, such an amazing, amazing, I don't think Clark would call it a ministry, but I will call it a ministry for him. Um, it is such a good way to reach out and help these kids at Christmas. Now, I want to talk about Kyler Murray and Kevin Hart. Uh, It is very interesting to me. The uh, USA Today has a reporter, Scott Gleason. Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy uh, over the weekend. And Scott Gleason is the sports reporter for USA Today who covered it. And the way he covered it was that uh, Kyler Murray, who was 21, when he was 14 years old on Twitter, he, he called someone queer, a friend of his, and then used the F word, a homophobic slur, among other things to ridicule some friends and others on social media when he was 14 and 15 years old. And the way that USA Today decided to cover Kyler Murray winning the Heisman was to attack him for things he did when he was 14 and 15 years old, demanding that he apologize. I think USA Today should apologize. I think it is all full of them, and this is more and more what the media is doing, and more and more why when the president calls the media the enemy of the people, the media is playing to that cast. Uh, I mean, certain reporters are. Not the media in general. want to be careful there. Certain reporters are certainly playing up being the enemy of the people. Look at the Daily Beast and the Hollywood Reporter and their savaging of Kevin Hart for things he did on social media a decade ago. You know, it's funny, by the way. Um, So I've got a a guy at the Daily Beast who is uh, genuinely obsessed with me. 
and has been since around 2012, 2013, and has a piece out today. Why does anybody take Eric Erickson seriously? And, I mean, he goes back a decade. The crazy thing is he, he cites about 400 words of things I've written in the last decade. Uh, some of it I apologize for. Some of it he takes completely out of context. Uh, I write, on average, 10,000 words a week, and that was the best he could do. Plus, in addition to doing a two-hour radio show five days a week uh, for roughly 48 weeks a year, and this this was the best he could do. The guy's obsessed with me. I mean, he's been for several years saying I'm a terrible person, and he writes this. Uh, the Daily Beast is doing this thing where they are declaring who is and is not acceptable in society. Uh, they're doing it to me. They've done it to Kevin Hart, the black comedian. What's so interesting is the number of people who have come forward and said, what about this comedian? You've got uh, Sarah uh, Silverman. You've got uh, Amy Schuler and others, Schumer, Amy Schumer, and others out there who have said, use the same words and, and style of language that Kevin Hart has classified as homophobic, and they've nobody's savaging them. They're savaging the black man who was honored to host the Academy Awards, just like they're savaging the young black man who won the Heisman for things done in the Heisman winner's case five, six years ago, in Kevin Hart's case a decade ago on social media. I have mentioned to you guys a while back the polling from this year that shows a, a 3 to 4% increase, or I shouldn't say 3, 2 to 4%, Enough to be captured in in the adjusted exit polling uh, shift in black men towards the Republicans without Donald Trump on the ballot. And I think when you are tearing down successful black men, when white reporters are tearing down successful black men who have been given honors for things that they've done a decade ago, when many of the reporters show them that, by the way, Scott Gleason uh, of USA Today has a piece he wrote a long time ago uh, that that has been uncovered where he points out he did exactly what Kyler, Kyler Murray, he's attacking Kyler Murray for. And he, he self-confessed, and now he's demanding Murray confess, apologize, and denounces his, his tweets from when he was 14 years old. Every 14-year-old does dumb things, by the way. Um, I don't have one that's that old yet, but I mean, I know it's coming. It makes me wonder in the culture wars, how much more quickly, if you start going after successful black men, because they're not, um, they're not down with your politically correct views, or they did things a decade ago and they've repudiated those views since, but you're demanding even more from them and punishing them if they don't. Uh, wow. I, I can only imagine that you're going to see more and more people moving to the right in this culture war nonsense. Uh, and it is nonsense. It is nonsense to wait for someone to have a successful moment in life to be on the national radar and then to use your position in the media to tear them down, particularly for things they did as a kid, but also things you yourself have done. And that's what happened with Scott Gleason in USA Today when they tried to tear down Kyler Murray. And they, not him, not, not Kyler Murray, Murray, they should be ashamed. I heard an interesting rumor, and I can't remember if I shared it with you guys or not, but I am hearing that when the state legislature convenes next month, they're required to convene, I, I think, the the second Monday, uh, first Monday or second Monday in uh, January. January. Um, I think, you know, let's see, the inauguration for Brian Kemp is going to be on the 14th. So, yeah, I, I think it is the second Monday the legislature convenes um, according to the Constitution. And what I'm hearing is going to happen is they are going to convene 
There, the inauguration will be on the 14th, and then the legislature is going to go into recess and probably not come back until sometime in February. And uh, the reason that this apparently is going to happen, it actually makes a ton of sense. The Super Bowl is coming. The Super Bowl is coming. And they are having trouble getting hotel rooms for legislators who sometimes come in need hotel rooms. They're filling up fast. So they are going to put a hold on the legislative session until after the Super Bowl. At least that's the rumor. It sure makes a lot of sense. I'm glad they're thinking ahead because it would be, look, it is miserable enough sometimes in Atlanta. There have been times uh, where I've been stuck in the city and thought, you know what, I'm just going to get a hotel room. It's it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I've had a few beers. I've been out with uh, different people. I, there's no way I'm, I'm going to drive, and I'm just going to get a hotel room. And you, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. There are no hotel rooms. Uh, I have slept in my office more than once and it is it's I, I I'm shocked by the saturation sometimes it's like I remember one night last year as a matter of fact uh it was two o'clock in the morning 2 30 in the morning I was finishing up a I had to give a speech up in um Johns Creek and then went out uh thankfully had had nothing to drink and had to drive and it was thought, you know what, I'll, I'll just stay at the Intercon or I'll stay at the Grand Hyatt in Buckhead and or I can stay down at the Hilton by the airport because there's always a room there. There was nothing. I drove back to Macon and the bad thing about it was that I told Christy, and uh, go on, set the alarm. I'm not going to come home. I'll get a hotel room. I had my stuff I was planning on staying uh, and just had forgotten to make the reservation. I actually had to drive south of Macon to get a hotel room because I couldn't get home. Um, because the alarm was on and everybody was asleep and it was set to immediately go off. I couldn't turn it off remotely. And so I had to stay at a hotel, um, south of our house because there were no hotel rooms. And this has happened to me, uh, not that extreme, but just, um, harder and harder to get a hotel room at some points during the, during busy seasons in the city. And it, it can be weeknights. It can be weekends. Uh, this makes a lot of sense for the legislature to do. Uh, so good for them for thinking about it. When we come back. The Mueller investigation rolls on. Uh, what you are not hearing, the sound of silence to a degree, is the most damning aspect of the Mueller investigation. I will explain what I mean when we come back right here on WSB. The second hour. Welcome back. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's evening news on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to discuss the Mueller investigation. Um, so I, I, l- let me begin here. I think the the most damning thing to come from the Mueller investigation in the last 72 to 96 hours is the silence from the right, particularly Trump supporters. Now, there have been a, a, a few things out there that you play. Well, don't forget this, Mr. Mueller. You need to investigate this or but Hillary. There's a lot of but Hillary, and, and that should be a troubling sign to the White House. 
that, that essentially engaging in whataboutism. How can you prosecute the president when you didn't prosecute Hillary Clinton? Um, well, you know, they, they don't have to. Uh, if if you don't get prosecuted for running a red light and someone else does, it doesn't mean that person gets off because uh, you didn't get prosecuted. Um, you, you can say it's unfair, and I, I acknowledge uh, the discrepancy there, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that that one lawbreaker gets off because another did, if that's the case. And, and I'm not saying the president is, uh, but what I am saying is that the fact that you haven't had any aggressive pushback on the Mueller investigation since the Cohen and Manafort documents on Friday is a big, huge, waving red flag for this White House that something is wrong. There is a sound of silence from the White House's defenders. And there are a lot of people who say, uh, well, because it was no big deal, but it was not no big deal. It was actually a pretty big deal um, of there's trouble. Let me read you Noah Rothman. Uh, has a piece at commentary that launched just about an hour ago. With a few exceptions, the president's phalanx of reliable shruggers have responded to this weekend series of damning revelations with muted anxiety. That is a worrying sign for the White House that their communication strategy is off the rails. Gone is the dubious triumphalism about how the latest sentencing memo, plea agreement, and indictment out of the special counsel's office exculpate the president. Gone is the certitude that the officials investigating the Trump campaign are off the president's scent. The president himself led the charge on Friday night in an effort to rally his defenders, but few politicians and media professionals interested in preserving their reputations in anticipation of a post-Trump era followed his lead. In the past, the president's most enthusiastic defenders had tended to get ahead of the investigation. They postured as being vindicated when the latest special counsel's office filing failed to implicate the president, only to be humiliated when the next one did. They sneered at Trump's critics when two weeks elapsed without any new information related to the collusion probe, only to eat their words when Mueller advanced the ball a week later. In the 72 hours that elapsed since Friday, Trump's defenders have opted only to warn Democrats not to overplay their hand. That should worry the White House most of all. That is a very fair point. What was in the Mueller documents that is so troubling? No, it is not the president paying to keep a porn star quiet. That is not the troubling allegation. That's where the media focus, because they're not lawyers, where they should focus is in a troubling paragraph in the Mueller filing. Let me read you just one paragraph and explain it to you. Cohen described the circumstances of preparing and circulating his response to the congressional inquiries while continuing to accept responsibility for the false statements contained within it. Cohen described the circumstances of preparing and circulating his response to the congressional inquiries while continuing to accept responsibility for the false statements contained within it. Now, everybody's looking at the the porn star payments. Um, That is, uh, according to Michael Cohen, and remember, now, this is the best the White House has done, Rudy Giuliani leading this charge, 
that Michael Cohen is completely unreliable. Nobody can trust Michael Cohen. The problem here is that the Mueller team has made certain that for every allegation they've made, they've got multiple parties corroborate it. So you can destroy the credibility of Michael Cohen all you want, but there's someone else whose credibility um, you're going to have a harder time destroying. In this case, it appears to be the CEO of the National Enquirer. Cohen arranged for payments to shut up a porn star who was having an affair with Donald Trump while his wife was third wife was pregnant and the president arranged and orchestrated the payments. Now, John Edward, when he ran John Edwards, not not the not the the what you say dude, but the presidential candidate, when he ran for president, he was found not guilty of using campaign funds uh, to cover up his affair. That is probably the best argument the president has right now. The problem is that this goes a bit further. Uh, It's not just that the president arranged for payment and arranged for it not to be recorded on the books. It appears, based on a subsequent filing from Michael Cohen, that he wound up saying to the IRS, filing an amendment to his taxes, that he did not actually earn as much money as he claimed to have earned. What that suggests, strongly suggests, and not just by me, but by uh, people on both sides, whether they support the president or not, it appears that Michael Cohen was paid additional income and then used that income to pay um, the National Enquirer that then paid the woman. And so there's a tax fraud component to it. Uh, that he didn't actually, that wasn't actually income, and yet he filed the income, and the president participated in orchestrating it as such. There also appears possibly to be corporate shenanigans at the Trump Organization that would put this in the realm of of um, violations on their tax returns and, and whatnot. So there's a tax implication here, potentially. But the bigger one, I think, goes back to this paragraph I highlighted. Cohen described the circumstances of preparing and circulating his response to the congressional inquiries while continuing to accept responsibility for the false statements contained within it. What that means is that Michael Cohen told prosecutors that he prepared and circulated his responses to congressional inquiries and then wanted to accept responsibility for the false statements contained within it. In other words, Michael Cohen had someone look at the lies he was going to tell Congress and then said the lies were all his. But someone somewhere, and we don't know who, and I don't know that it's the president, I'm pretty sure it's not the president, but is it one of his kids? Someone looked over Michael Cohen's testimony that was going to be a lie to Congress and approved the lies or coordinated with him the lies that he was going to tell Congress. That's a really, really big deal. Forget the campaign finance allegations. This paragraph is the bomb. Not the bomb, as the millennials say, but the bomb is about to explode. Uh, That Cohen admits that he collaborated with someone to lie to Congress but he says that the false statements were his own statements. In other words, he came up with the lies, but he let somebody look at them to make sure they were okay. That's a real problem if that pans out, uh, and that's what the Mueller filing suggests. So who was the person who saw Cohen's testimony 
and the lies he was going to tell and coordinated with them. Again, I don't think it's the president of the United States, but it's somebody, and that somebody is going to be in a world of hurt for lying to Congress. It's me. It's Eric Erickson. Welcome back. Uh, so I got to tell you again about Omaha Steaks, and it, it your time is running out on this package. If you want this for yourself or for a friend, you need to speed it up. Christmas is coming. You want to make sure people can get this gift. It is a great package. You go to omahasteaks.com. You enter my first name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar, and you're going to get 74% off Omaha Steaks Family Gift Package. It's originally $195. It's now only $49.99. What you're going to get is four hand-cut top sirloin steaks, two premium pork chops, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha steak burgers, four kielbasa sausages, all beef meatballs, four potatoes all gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, plus get four more burgers for free. You do this by going to omahasteaks.com. You type Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar. You add the family gift package to your cart, and you get this entire family gift pack for $49.99. You can order it for yourself. You just don't have to tell anybody. You can order it for friends and family. I had people reach out to me today to ask me about this. And again, it's very important. Go to OmahaStakes.com and look up at the top of the, of the site. You will see a search bar. Put my first name in there. Spell it right, E-R-I-C-K. And it'll pop down. You'll see the, the family gift pack pop down for $49.99. Fantastic deal. Delicious, delicious food. Go order it now. Uh, I, I mentioned in the first hour I got my rock box. Um, I will put up Instagram pictures of it. You can follow me on Instagram at E.W. Erickson. By the way, you know, you can sign up for my recipe list uh, that I send out on Wednesdays. I got to pick out a recipe for this week. Uh, text the word recipe to 345345. Uh, I'm not going to sell your name or anything like that or send you a bunch of spam. Just once a week on Wednesday at around 12, 1215, send out a recipe. Um, text recipe to 345345. Uh, I'm going to have to make, uh, so I've got some Neapolitan pizza dough being made. Uh, I figured out, did the ratios, uh, 100% is flour, 65% is water, um, 2% of salt, um, a half percent. Yeah, it just, uh, it was kind of fun to cook by ratio. Um, but it's been rising overnight. I've got to now make it into balls and put it in the refrigerator and let it rise some more. And th so this rock box thing, it's a little pizza oven, uh, brick oven. It gets up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can make real Neapolitan pizza. You can roast things in it. You grill. I just, it's, I'm, I'm so excited by this. I've been watching it for two years and finally decided I wanted it. And they, they have these exterior shells in different colors. Uh, and I wanted the green one just because I thought it looked cool. And I got all that. They were sold out. Uh, they're a company in, in the UK, so they got to ship it here. But then I realized that Williams-Sonoma now sells them. Uh, online only. You can't get them in the store. And they had the green one. And I got it. I'm so excited. Uh, you can do breads in it. I'm just, uh, and it's not huge. Uh, it weighs about 40 pounds. It is portable. It works on a, a gas tank, just like your grill. I'm very, very excited by it. Now, by the way, uh, before we go to commercial break, when we come back uh, a little more on, on the, the Mueller investigation, then we got to get into what's happening in France and the climate change hoo-ha. Uh, but before we do, Callaway Gardens, Barnsley Gardens, and Rock Ranch. 
If you want to see Christmas lights, those are my three recommendations. I The reason I bring this up is I got an email over the weekend from a listener who had heard me when I was filling in for air on my guests last week uh, mention those locations and could not remember where they were. And I emailed them and I figured there may be a few more people in that boat. Rock Ranch, um, which is near Barnesville, it's, uh, it was free. I think you got to buy a ticket and make you can make a donation. You got to go to just the Rock Ranch's website, Google it, you can see. You just drive through Christmas lights. And then there is Callaway Gardens, which is amazing. You need to go to Callaway Gardens. If you've never been to Callaway Gardens, take your kids, go to Callaway Gardens. Stay overnight at Callaway Gardens. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then Barnsley Gardens, which is my favorite place in the state of Georgia. I love Barnsley Gardens. I go there as much as I can. I haven't been this year. I need to go. Um, I, I get soul sick when I don't get to Barnsley Gardens in a year, and I haven't been this year. I need to go. I just like to go up there by myself sometimes or take my wife and just go walk the golf course and hit golf balls. Um, I flipped a golf cart there one time. It was raining, and they had this super steep hill, and the golf cart fell on me. Um, could have been worse, um, but they patched me up. I was good to go. And it's just, it's, it's a wonderful, I love Barnsley Gardens and they've got great lights. Okay. Now we'll be back more on the Mueller investigation on the flip side. I, I want you to welcome back for 39 after the hour. I've got to respond to a scurrilous accusation from a listener. I, I mentioned I had flipped a golf cart at Barnsley Garden. Um, it, it was not my fault, per se. I guess it was, kind of. But, uh, no, I was perfectly sober. Uh, I was up there. I was actually finishing up my book and decided I was going to go play around to golf, take a break from finishing my book. And it was raining. It had just started raining, sprinkling. And they've got one hole. Those of you who've played Barnsley know this. It is a steep, steep, steep decline. Uh, and it's got speed bumps and I went over there, there's a speed bump and then it was a sharp turn right after the other side of the speed bump. And I got stuck on the speed bump and I had to touch the gas. And when I did a fishtailed over the other side, the golf cart turn flipped over in the turn and slid down the hill with me inside of it. And I had my brand new Sony camera too. And all I was thinking is don't get decapitated and don't smash your camera. <laughs> But nope, I was perfectly fine. Um, it was fine. I, I love Barnes. If you've never been to Barnsley Gardens, they've got a new inn up there. It is a great retreat. Take your significant other. Take your kids up there if you want. Uh, we take our dog and, and the kids up there during the summer, do horseback riding. I play golf. Uh, they've got a great restaurant, a nice pool. I love it. They've got a brand new spa I haven't been to. Um, nonetheless, uh, this is not an ad for Barnsley. I just, I love the place. Callaway as well. I haven't been to Callaway in years. I need to go. We're going to see the Christmas lights at Callaway this year. They've advertised on the station. This isn't an advertisement. They're just awesome. Let's go back to Bob Mueller. So Mueller says that Michael Flynn cooperated to such an extent he does not deserve jail time. That he's, a uh, his service to the country and the extent of his cooperation uh, leads the Mueller team to say he doesn't deserve jail time or fines. Michael Cohen, on the other hand, they say deserves jail time, that he wasn't very cooperative, even though he had numerous interviews and provided them a bunch of information and tried to fall on a sword. They say he didn't really cooperate, and they want long jail time and lots of fines for Michael Cohen. They also want uh, Paul Manafort to go back to jail. In fact, they may be prosecuting him further. One of the things they say Manafort lied about was contacts with the Trump administration. I got to tell you, it seems awful minor to me that essentially there was just someone somewhere in the administration not directly connected to Donald Trump, 
and he uh, had communication with that person, and it, uh, he may very well have forgotten about it. I don't think that's a big deal. The things that I think are big are Mike Flynn, according to the Mueller documents, had 19 interviews, and a number of people came forward and spoke honestly because of the Flynn interviews, and they were provided with new avenues to investigate because of Flynn, and those avenues panned out, including leading to a criminal investigation of someone. We don't know who that someone is. Lots of speculation is the president. I don't know that it is. But there's a criminal investigation into someone. That's problematic for this White House. The other problematic thing for this White House is that they got Michael Cohen under oath in federal court to say that individual one, who is Donald Trump, orchestrated the payment to the porn star to keep her quiet on the campaign trail. Now, it is a matter of federal law that if you make a payment designed to affect the outcome of the election, it must be disclosed. The question is not whether you can or cannot make the payment. The question is, did you disclose it? And it was not disclosed. And Cohen says in the documents and in, in court that they needed to keep this woman quiet because the president was afraid it could hurt evangelical support. It was coming out around the same time as the Access Hollywood tape. They needed to keep quiet that he was cheating on his wife with a porn star while his wife was pregnant. Yeah, now the, the, we, we got a question now as to whether or not that would actually matter, whether evangelicals would actually care, uh, given just how uh, they've doubled down for the president. But in, in the election, it, it might have. And the president did want to keep it quiet. Now, you could say, well, John Edwards, that's fine. The issue, though, is how is the payment arranged? And that could bring up tax implications. And then there's the question of Michael Cohen lying to Congress, and he apparently coordinated with someone. This is deeply problematic for this White House. And it looks more and more like the Mueller investigators, they're zeroing in on the president and his family. And the fact that people on the right, who have been loud vocal defenders of the president, are suddenly not saying anything, should worry deeply this president and the administration. Okay, real quick. Um, before we get out of here, there is a great article in the Arizona Republic newspaper this weekend pointing out, you know, the United States is the one country that has really walked away from the Paris Accord very publicly. We're technically still in it uh, until 2020, but the president has made no more commitments to it. And here's the great irony of it is we're the only country actually complying with the Paris Accord, even though we're not even in it. Uh, we're the ones actually making measurable rollbacks. Now, uh, interestingly enough, the um, the Paris uh, rioting situation, it's not just about the fuel tax, but the fuel tax really is the impetus for it. Um, and, and a number of other clean energy um, issues related to the fuel tax and global warming. For example, the French government now wants to increase taxes on cars. They've imposed new regulations that have taken a lot of cars off the road, driven up costs for consumers, uh, really taxing people out of the ability to drive. But in addition to that, there are a bunch of free market reforms in the business uh, space that Macron has done that has also caused the rioting. So it's not just fuel, but that actually is the primary motivator out there, the fuel tax and the renewable energy standards and whatnot they've imposed. Uh, the media, though, is doing their best to avoid talking about those, focusing on the free market reforms. 
And it's just, it's dishonest. Um, What we're seeing here is that the environmentalist left uh, solutions for climate change uh, are not palatable to most people. And as a result, uh, they're going to have a hard time advancing their aggressive agenda. And it bears watching on this story. I don't have a ton of time to go into it tonight, but pay attention to this story and how the media is not covering it honestly. Um, Have y'all seen the story about the dog and the California fires, the the campfire fire in California? The the whole neighborhood was wiped out by the fires. The house burned to the ground. The family convinced the dog must have died in the fires. Nope. The dog came home and has been guarding the house for the family. When the family went back in to see if there was anything left, there wasn't except the dog. The dog was there waiting for the family, guarding the house, keeping everything in check. Uh, The story went viral over the weekend. I await uh, Slate's take. Slate, of course, Ruth Graham at Slate being the one who wrote the ridiculous piece uh, attacking George H.W. Bush's uh, service animal dog for laying down in front of the coffin that it's just trained to do that. It's not sweet. It's not all. It's not compassion. It's just a trained slave animal or whatnot. Uh, The whole thing was ridiculous, but so many people ridiculed it. I'm glad they did. They deserved uh, to. When the the ABC News story came out about this dog in California, a whole bunch of people, myself included, all said, um, we await Slate's take. What a ridiculous publication that is. Uh, It really is. And good for the dog. You know, I, I grew up with cats. I didn't grow up with dogs. And we now have a dog, Maggie, a golden doodle, uh, and she is as sweet as she can be and loyal and always happy to see you even when you've had a bad day, uh, which is good. Uh, the downside is that my wife now lets her sleep in the bed and she does not like me anywhere near my wife, and I, which is fine because I want to be in Siberia when I go to sleep. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to snuggle when I want to go to sleep. I want to be cold off by myself, not sweating while I sleep, but now the dog has decided that she wants to snuggle with both of us. And stretches her body, but she's a sweet dog. (laughs) Very, very sweet dog. Occasionally, occasionally she'll let me like interact with my wife without getting, she's a very jealous dog, uh, but a very sweet dog. Now, on that note, I am out of here for the night. I will be back tomorrow night. Uh, We may have some more Mueller news. Uh, I certainly know we will have some news related to the chief of staff. Uh, in the White House as the president continues working towards making up his mind. Uh, So uh, see you guys tomorrow. And don't forget, text the word recipe to 345-345. See you all tomorrow.